BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Straight ahead on the insiders, earlier this summer he had campaigned a lot in our state, but presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke has had a little bit of a different strategy the last couple of months. He joins us to explain what he is trying to do and whether it's realistic for him to say he would take away certain guns like he's talked about. And do you want to host your own caucus? Well, Iowans have been making their pitches to Democratic leaders. The party chair will join us to talk about how these satellite caucuses will work this time around. And the Republican party chair is also here looking ahead from now until caucus night. And then the insider's quick six, vaping e-cigarettes. Some people have died after using them. Others have lifelong health problems. Is it time to get rid of them entirely? Welcome to the Insiders. Let's begin this week with some numbers. First off, Tim Ryan of Ohio has dropped out of this Democratic presidential race, hasn't been traveling much to our state. But let's look at to see how this is all shaped up. So the Des Moines Register tracks this. And if you go all the way back to December of 2016, this is the way it shapes up if you're looking at candidate events. You can see Maryland's John Delaney, 225. So here quite a bit more than anyone else, A.B. Klobuchar, Steve Bullock, Julian Castro, Joe Sestak, and then Beto O'Rourke right behind them, sixth overall, the former Texas congressman, and he is back in our state and joins us now. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right, Congressman. So when we were tracking those, looking at those, you were here a lot early doing a lot of different events all over our state. Numerous times you would come here, do a lot of events in one day. And you've kind of changed your approach. So explain what you're doing, because I think some people here are wondering, are you really trying to win? Or are you doing something else here? What's going on? I think we've added to our approach. Um, last night, uh, we had an amazing town hall in Mount Vernon at Cornell College. Um, 200 people came out asking questions on everything that is important to them and important to the future of this country. As you just showed earlier, uh, we've held almost as many uh, events, answered as many questions, held as many town halls as any other candidate. But as a national candidate for office, I want to make sure that I bring everyone in this nation into the conversation. So earlier this week, we were in Alabama. We've been to Mississippi, to Oklahoma, to Missouri, to Kansas, making sure that we listen to everyone's stories and bring everyone in to the solutions, to the greatest set of challenges that this country has ever faced. But I'm also heartened to know that Iowans, and you can confirm this, tend to make up their mind late in the process. And with more than 100 days to go, a lot of time for me to be here on the ground, to listen to, learn from people, and include them into this campaign, I feel very good about our prospects. Okay, let me show you this other list here. So I went back and looked, and I used July 20th kind of as a cutoff, because this is when you had been here in July. Then adding up how many times everybody's been here day-wise since then, you can see you're a lot further down on the list. I would think people would very much agree with you that people tend to make up their minds in a lot of cases, you know, that last month or so before the caucus. But thinking big picture, looking at all these other states, isn't there a danger looking at this list that you haven't been here as much and you're not fostering those relationships that traditionally somebody would use to try to win on caucus night? 
We're very fortunate in that we have an extraordinary team here on the ground in Iowa, complemented by volunteers and grassroots organizers. They're the ones who've been knocking on doors, making phone calls, and to use this example of Mount Vernon this week, um, my ability to actually be here in person now and to follow up on those conversations and gain that commitment to caucus is so important for our prospects on caucus night in February. So we're, we're very lucky for the team that we have, the work that we're doing in common, and the fact that I'm here right now and will continue to be in Iowa. In fact, I'll be here again this next week. You'll be seeing a lot of us on the ground on the streets, knocking on doors, including people into the future, not just of Iowa, but of this country, making sure that this democracy is up to this moment of truth. Uh, do you have to get top four or five, which is how some view it may be this time around? It's, it's really important that we do well in Iowa, that we're one of the top finishers uh, in, in a very What's crowded, very, very- What's that mean? Uh, number? You know, I, I think finishing in, in the, the top four or five um, is is uh, critical to our ability to move forward to other states and then to get to Super Tuesday where we have Texas and an ability to bring a lot of delegates to bear and also to make the case that as the general election candidate and an ability to win 38 electoral college votes in my home state to bring not only Democrats but independents and some Republicans as we've shown that we've been able to do that is the best possible way to defeat Donald Trump in November, and I think the best possible way to forever change the political landscape in America. So this is an extraordinary chance, an extraordinary moment, and, and we are going to make the most of it. Uh, when I talk to activists here, I feel like the topic that comes out most about you, the issue, is guns. And you've talked about that pretty emphatically in some of these presidential debates. So when you've talked about taking away AR-15s and others, is that a realistic promise to people? The other candidates kind of pinned you on that a little bit this last time around. Is that really something that can be, if we don't voluntarily give them up, it's pretty tough to take them. It is if, as a country, we decide it will be realistic. It's not the, the polls or the pundits or the politicians already in power who have not made progress not only on assault weapons but on universal background checks or extreme risk protection orders. We either allow the status quo to define the terms of the debate, the NRA to literally call the shots in, in this discussion, or we decide that we're going to protect the lives of our fellow Americans in a country that loses more than 40,000 people a year to gun violence. And as we saw in El Paso on August 3rd, those weapons of war, like an AK-47 or an AR-15, are devastatingly effective at taking human life in a very short period of time. 22 killed in under three minutes. Dayton, Ohio, nine killed in under 40 seconds. Not only should we stop selling them, we should buy them back so they're no longer a threat to us in our lives and in our communities. And to be clear, would you agree that was kind of the turning point for you in this, in that you started viewing perhaps this race a little differently? Uh, you went back home, pulled out of the state fair here so that you could go back home to some of the people who were grieving there. And did that then change your plan about how you were campaigning as well? I think El Paso and that terror attack in August forced me to see things more clearly than I ever had, uh, to speak in terms that were far more honest than perhaps even I was comfortable with before, and to show how we will act decisively to prevent these kinds of acts of terror, but also to connect the dots for my fellow Americans. El Paso didn't just happen as a matter of course or as an accident in our communities or in civil society. To have a president who describes immigrants as rapists and criminals, who stokes fear and paranoia about asylum seekers, to see his words 
used by the killer in the manifesto that he posted, we now know the true cost and consequence of Donald Trump. The racism that has long defined the American experience brought out in the open and directed against the most vulnerable, some of the most defenseless communities in the United States of America. I realize that unless we call that out, then we, come, we become complicit in these acts of terror should they continue going forward. So my commitment is to show up everywhere for everyone who's been subjected to the terror and the hatred and the racism of Donald Trump and make sure that we stand up against that and stand up for the best values and interests of this country. All right, I wanna get into healthcare. We need to take a break here. So when we come back, we'll talk to the Congressman about the way he views healthcare and the changes that need to happen that might be different than some of those who are also running in this race. We'll continue our conversation. This weekend gave Iowans another chance to get rid of unwanted prescription drugs so that others cannot abuse them. All the candidates running for president agree that more needs to be done to keep these out of the hands who could abuse these prescription drugs. Let's bring back the congressman. Uh, you were talking about this very topic uh, during one of your recent trips uh, uh, to eastern Iowa. What, what did you learn there and how are you viewing how we can actually get ahead of this? I had a chance to spend some time in Cedar Rapids with the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition. And the leadership that they're showing on substance use and substance abuse disorders, on making sure that this is not an issue for the criminal justice system. In other words, incarcerating people for their use of opioids, but instead seeing this as a public health opportunity for this country that lost the lives of hundreds of thousands of our fellow Americans is really inspiring. And I think we can take what we are seeing in Iowa, the leadership in this state, and apply that nationally, uh, removing the stigma from substance use so that no one fears coming forward to get the help, the treatment, and the recovery that they need, funding that recovery and treatment so that they can fully get back on their feet, and then making sure that we hold those accountable who are responsible for this crisis in America. These pharmaceutical corporations who marketed these opioids without disclosing to providers and prescribers the consequences and the addictive properties of these medications bear some responsibility for the death and devastation that we've seen across America. And unless they're held accountable, you can almost guarantee that you will continue to see this Are you talking happen. criminally or civilly? I, I think both. Uh, you know, you have the largest prison population on the face of the planet in America, 2.3 million behind bars. You have folks serving time for possession of marijuana, a substance that's legal in more than half the states, and yet no one at Purdue or Johnson & Johnson has spent a single minute behind bars, though they are connected to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of our fellow Americans. Justice must be equal in this country, regardless of your position of power or privilege, the profit that your company makes. And until we have justice and accountability, I almost can uh, guarantee that we will continue to see this problem continue going forward. Uh, backing this out to a broader conversation here about Medicare for all, you know, if we look at the polls, two of the top three here, and most of the polls, at least when you're talking about Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they're traveling our state talking about Medicare for all, right? And you have talked about that is not the way to go. And I'm curious, when you're out in Iowa and elsewhere, what kind of feedback are you getting from the audience on this? Because when they're out campaigning, I mean, people get up and get excited about that idea. We've been talking about this in Iowa this week, uh, a proposal that I've made called Medicare for America, which says that if you're uninsured, we'll enroll you in Medicare. If you are insufficiently insured, can't afford your copay or your premium or bridge your deductible, you can elect to move into Medicare. 
But if you have employer-sponsored insurance that you like, that works for you and your family, if you're a member of a union that fought for and negotiated a health care plan, maybe in lieu of some other earned benefit or wage increase, we trust you with that decision and you're able to keep it. In that way, we get to universal, guaranteed, high-quality health care for every person in this country. And importantly in Iowa, one of the issues I've been hearing about is access to mental health care. Someone told me Iowa ranks 51st in the nation. And in states like ours in Iowa and in Texas, you have far too many with uh, clinical depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, literally getting arrested on purpose to be taken to a county jail where they are guaranteed the care that they cannot find otherwise. So making sure that this is um, universally accessible without a copay is incredibly important to making sure that everyone is healthy enough to live to their full potential. We've only got 10 seconds here left, but can we afford Medicare for all or not? We can't afford it without a tax increase, and that's what Elizabeth Warren is not telling you. My plan will not require a tax increase on middle-class Americans. If you earn $250,000 or less as a family, you will not see a tax increase under my administration. All right, if you'll hang tight, we'll have you for the final segment, the Quick Six, in a moment. When we come back, I want to talk about this expanded option in the Iowa caucuses that we'll have, at least on the Democratic side, how that will work in case you wanted to host your own. We'll talk about that next All right, it's application time. We're not talking about college. We're talking about those people willing to essentially host their own caucus. It's something that we really haven't experienced like this before, so we want to start with that. Let's bring in our next guest. Troy Price is the one who has to help figure this out. He's the chair of the <laughs> Iowa Democratic Party. Jeff Kaufman's the chair of the Republican Party of Iowa. Thank you, gents. Thanks for being here. It's great, yeah, to, it's be great here. to be back. All right, Chairman Price, on your side of things, so you had essentially like this application process mm -hmm. where people can say, I want to host a caucus. Yeah, that's right. But it's not just for that. I mean, it's designed to capture those people who would not otherwise be able to get to their precinct caucuses. So we're talking about shift workers. We're talking about people in nursing homes, group facilities, uh, uh, long-term care facilities, uh, people who are uh, working or serving overseas or across the country. Um, and so that's really what this is designed to do. Now, we've got an application that just went up on our website last week, um, and we're expecting that we'll get some applications in here over the next few weeks. The deadline is November 18th, um, and we think this is going to be a great way to capture those people who can't get to their precinct caucus. Uh, but it's, it's what you all will end up approving that, of course, mm -hmm. everybody wants to figure out. Give yeah. us an easy example of a pitch to you that you think, yeah, this will make it? Well, I don't want to speak for the committee that's going to be deciding this. And so we've got this committee in place right now. They're looking at it. They're actually talking about what it is they're looking to approve, what it is they may not uh, uh, give as high of marks to. Um, but really, we're accepting all applications on uh, that come in, and we're going okay, to review all Okay, let's give a couple ideas. Though, like, if you have a decent-sized group, and you all have to determine what that is, but mm -hmm. let's say you have a group of people who snowbird in Arizona in February. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They can make a pitch here. Right. Yeah, they could make a pitch here. I mean, we expect that with those folks who winter out of the state that we could see some of these outside of Iowa, some college campuses outside of Iowa. Some uh, we could see it in Washington, D.C., because there's a lot of Iowans who work in Washington. Um, uh, not as many as there were when Barack Obama was there, but nonetheless, <laughs> there are um, uh, Iowans in Washington, D.C. that would be looking at it for a way to caucus. And so uh, we really do think this is going to be a great way to capture people who couldn't otherwise participate and increase the accessibility of our but process. But how are you going to decide who gets approved? I know it's not all your decision. Yeah. But how do you decide what is a good enough reason and what this threshold is going to be, whether it's number of people, time of day, 
logistics, mm -hmm. where it's going to be, whatever. So what the process will be once we get one in, we will be doing a review of it. We're going to have more questions. You know, we're going to take it to the committee, going to ask and see what questions they may have about it. Uh, we'll do some staff work on our end, and then we'll take it back to the committee. They'll debate it, and then they will decide. It's, I don't want to get a... Uh, uh, put parameters on it because we don't know yet and because this is a new process um, and we're still working through some of the some of those specific issues on which site but honestly we want to take a look at these sites as they come in and determine whether or not this meets the threshold we don't want to necessarily cannibalize caucus turnout except for maybe in a few instances where we know we have oversized rooms and stuff like that but um, really this is designed to make sure that we are capturing people who can't get to their precinct caucus so chairman kaufman you all are not adding this extra uh, layer to the way you all will do the Republican side. As you listen to Troy explain this, you know, you've heard some of the national conversation about this. This is going to essentially make us too close to a primary because our rules are going to be slightly different than what we've had traditionally, and we're going to be hosed for 2024. We're all right for 2020. What about 2024? Is any of that legit? No, I don't think so. I, I think the Democratic Party in this case and Troy and his team have done what they need to do to achieve the goal of, uh, you know, their national folks and the demands that they have, the same kind and of demands. And that's where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, the, you know, I didn't have those those types of demands this time. I don't know what kind of demands that the Republican Party is going to have in 2024. But uh, to be honest with you, I applaud what the Democrats are doing because I think they're trying to preserve the spirit of the caucuses. I have absolutely no doubt that there is a single Democrat in this state that wants to hurt our first in the nation status. I think we work together on that. Mm -hmm. um, and who knows you know, what, what types of things we'll have to take into account. We are looking at some kind of a satellite-like setup for our men and women that are serving overseas. And we will take a look and, in fact, probably take a look at what the Democrats have done in terms of security to make sure that one site uh, is secure and is, uh, is in the spirit of the caucuses. Uh, speaking of that spirit, you made the decision to go ahead and allow the party to have a traditional caucus in February, where some of your counterparts in other states, with Donald Trump as the incumbent here, despite a couple of challengers, said, we're not really going to have our caucus or primary like we usually do. You've talked about why you wanted to do that, but did you get any grief from anybody for sticking with tradition here? I, I honestly didn't, and I, I was out very, very early. Uh, before the questions were even asked, I was saying that we are going to have this preference vote. Um, you know, in, in one of the states, for instance, South Carolina, I know there was an element here of tax dollars. Unlike, unlike primary states, we're, you know, Troy and I are paying for our caucuses in terms of what we raise. I, I firmly, I firmly believe that it is in the best interest of this state, uh, that it's in the best interest of our party, and that it's in the best interest of, of the president, quite frankly, that we have this. But make no bones about it, my decision has every bit to do with 2024 as it does with 2020. We cannot let our guard down because people think they want what Iowa has until they find out how much it costs. All right. Thank you both. When we come back here, a free way to clear up your confusion about the Iowa caucuses. We'll explain how we can do that here this week. All right. A lot of attention on the caucuses, right? But let's be honest. The act of caucusing can be confusing, can be intimidating. So hopefully this could help. Tuesday night, we're going to join the League of Women Voters. They're going to be also joined by NAMI, Greater Des Moines, the NAACP, LULAC, and the Iowa Asian Alliance. This will be a nonpartisan night of information here. How do the Democrats do their caucuses, especially with the changes that are coming up here? How are the Republicans going to do it? You can meet us at Des Moines University from 630 to 8 Tuesday night. 
Gloria Mazza from Polk County Republicans, Andrea Phillips with the Iowa Democratic Party. They'll join us and we'll explain all of this. Take your questions if you have some questions about how this is all going to work. Remember, February 3rd, 2020, the night of the caucuses. Hopefully this will help get you ready. All right, when we come back, impeachment, whether your spouse would let you do it, vaping bans and a prediction. All when presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke returns for the Insider's Quick Six. Time for the Insider's Quick Six with Congressman O'Rourke. Question one, will Donald Trump be impeached by Christmas? Yes. Question two, if obviously what happened with Bernie Sanders with his heart attack, serious thing. If this were to happen to you, would your wife have let you go out there and do that debate or would she have said, no way, get better first? You know what, she uh, she believes in me all the way and is the, the strength of this campaign. And so I've got to say yes, she'd say get on out there. All right, question three, so much uh, attention on vaping. Should there be a national ban on these things? No, but there should be a much higher standard that we hold those companies to, and we should certainly prevent them from marketing to children. Question four, will you rule out definitively a U.S. Senate run in 2020 back home? Yes, I will. Question five, Mr. Musician, who is the best musician of all time? Wow. Um, I'm going to, this is tough, but I'm going to say Bob Dylan. All right. And we end with a prediction. What do you have? Astros are going to win it in seven. They're going to have to. They got off to a rough start. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Appreciate it. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next week for the Insiders. Mm-hmm.